Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you to be trusted? No. Can I trust you? You never could. You only had to. We're talking of my safety. May I be candid? Yes. I couldn't give a fuck about you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to 1976. It's a limited series from A Film by Podcast. We are talking about some of the iconic films of 1976 and, uh, you know, kind of sharing some uh, some fun history, a little behind the scenes, um, underrated moments. Of course, our favorite quotes. I am Jeff Johnson and back again to talk about another gritty film from 1976. My co-host from a film by Brad Kozo. Hello, everybody, and thanks for being here, Brad. Uh, it's a it's a birthday today. We we got a we got a birthday in the house. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is celebrating his eighty fifth birthday today. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like it until you actually find out a little bit about this movie. Well, yeah, uh, it, it's amazing because uh, Hoffman does not one but two movies in 1976 so we kind of just said mm-hmm. hey you know we technically brad our schedule we should be talking about uh a film by you know we should be picking a director and talking about somebody but uh you know we got to celebrate hoffman so we're gonna go with uh not one but two episodes in 1976 this week and uh we're gonna kick things off with marathon man now brad Let's let's uh let's begin. Uh, you know, I know we're gonna wax intellectual here. Let's let's start off with where this uh this film comes from. Uh, William Goldman writes the book Marathon Man, and he's paid five hundred thousand dollars for the film rights and to write the screenplay. Yeah, um, Goldman was hot at the time, doing um getting the Academy Award for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um. His writing was definitely getting a lot of attention. Uh, he, he was obviously about to score the deal with adapting all the president's men, which we'll talk about, you know, of course, later on. Um, but the book was a very solid movie that people wanted to get on, you know, and then it sold very quickly. And the chance to get I, I love when 
writers get to do adapt their own material into a uh, screenplay form and especially somebody that was so good at it already well yeah absolutely um talking about someone else that that's already good at their craft um the director of this movie uh, john uh, schlesinger now here's the funny thing he takes this job quickly after uh his last film uh day of the locusts 1975 okay. it bombs horribly I mean, nobody sees this, and he figures he's box office poison. He gets this uh, dropped in his lap as the the reviews are coming out for that, and he quickly uh, jumps on board. Yeah, I mean, right at the right time, he was, you know, big for Midnight Cowboy, but, you know, that was, you know, 68, 69, you know, and, you know, all these other directors were starting to make other things that were doing really well. It was time to catch up with those guys, so... With this one, he got a chance to really make that gritty 70s look, uh, the 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 political thrillers that were just booming during the 70s. It wasn't just this. It was, you know, Three Days of the Condor, uh, the Parallax View, um, you know, all these political thrillers, you know, with dark lights and stuff. So espionage, really, yeah, espionage. And th- this one had, I felt, a very... Um, a great what if type of plot, you know, it, it gets, it, it sounds a little hokey today, but if you go to it in the timeline, that was 1976 and then map it all out. I was like, this does make a, it, it, it does make a great, and it makes a great villain, you know, and oh, a notorious, yeah. uh, you know, when you say we're going to use anytime you really say you're going to use the Nazis as your villain, <laughs> um, it, it intrigues you, you know, it's yeah. just like, oh, it's kind of interesting, you know, to to delve into that. But, um, it, you know, it was one of those movies that Goldman talked. He said very. And he goes like this was a one shot of getting your dream cast at the first shot. He's like mm-hmm. everybody. He goes, we wanted Olivier. We wanted Hoffman. We wanted Scheider. And he's like, and we got them all. The only person that was in contention was Al Pacino, you know, and he's like I said, he goes, you never get what you've written for on the page. And he's like, he goes, basically written it. I wrote it for Hoffman. I thought, wouldn't it be great? But, you know, you might not get him, but they got everybody they wanted. Yeah, because what I, I can't remember who it was that wanted uh, Pacino initially, but I know uh, producer, super producer Robert Evans. He's like, nah. I don't want that guy, you know? So, yeah, well, he's, he was never a big fan of the Pacino um, club from the, from, from the get go. Um, oh, yeah. But um, Hoffman and had, had had a good track record at this time, you know, and it was somebody he wanted to get behind. And this was Evans's first post leaving Paramount as the studio head to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was one of his first efforts of going in and he, uh, it, you know, very timely by using that time knew who the right players were. I, I do, uh, I do want to talk about, uh, you mentioned uh, the, the right players and I, I got a, a little tidbit for you on Evans, but, uh, you know, again, with, with, uh, Schlesinger, the, here's the good news, Brad, as much as I, I know you probably want to talk about him as much as I do in this, in this episode, uh, we don't have to worry about that because I'll remind you, we're going to be talking about one of his later films, uh, 
this month, uh, you know, because he also directed Pacific Heights, oh, and yeah. that is that is on our uh, that's on our list to cover this month. So he, he gives us two two great villains, Zell yeah. and uh, Carter Hayes. <laughs> yes, and two great thrillers, right? Yeah, Brad, I found uh, this is this was interesting to me. Um, this is the movie. This is the first theatrically released film that uses the Steadicam that was invented by Garrett Brown. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, now, now granted, um, you know, he shoot, I think, I think Rocky and bound for glory. I might, I, I'm not sure about bound for glory, but I, I know uh, he shoots the, their, their shot with Steadicam, but yeah. marathon man beats them to the box office. So it's, it's the first one released. So, um, this kind of makes this is a little historical impact for this movie. I would, I would think, cause it kind of changes the, uh, how films are, are shot. Yeah, because you're doing a movie about a guy running and to make that interesting, to kind of make you feel like you're running at the same time with him. It, you know, just imagine the movie if we were just seeing him run side by side with the camera, just following him, you know, it would be it'd be okay. I don't think it would hurt but this makes the movie more more feel like you're running with him you're when he runs out of energy you run out of energy you can feel it when people run out of energy in this movie let's uh let's talk about some of these people the the amazing sir lawrence olivier he -hmm. is he's battling cancer doesn't expect to live and he takes this role basically this is a paycheck movie for him so he can leave his wife more money yeah. And originally the um the people over where he was, I believe in, in London, didn't want to insure him because they were pretty sure he was so sick. And Evans had to go down and convince him that, you know, because they didn't know if he was gonna live six months or something like that. He, you know, he held on for 13 more years. Yeah. Um, but Evans kind of got that ball going of getting him insured. And you know, you talked about Robert Evans knowing who the players are. It, it blows my mind that he has friends with connections to British Parliament, and he he basically gets some pressure applied to Lloyd's of London to to ensure someone like like Lawrence Olivier because <laughs> they shouldn't. But uh, you know, no, like, well, Evans knows where the bodies are buried, man. So he yeah. he makes it happen. Goldman said that he could not believe that when Robert Evans took over Paramount Pictures that they gave to this guy, he'd be like, it's like you know, giving a 747 to a child and he's like, and you know, with no experience and he goes, and he was wonderful at it. Yeah. (laughs) He was wonderful at it. Yeah. It's fantastic. You know, uh, Olivier, you know, cancer goes in remission. Like you said, he lives 13, 13 more years. This movie, Brad, he wins, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He wins the golden globe for best supporting performance and he's nominated. I know he's nominated for best supporting actor. Yeah, and it kind of gets his, uh, it gets his name back out there again. Uh, it shows that he, uh, you know, even sick can still put on a performance. You know, and he said he was struggling during it, having to wrap bandages around, like you know, stuff with his legs and things like that. They go, there were some days where he was in pain, but man, he he brought it every day though. Mm-hmm. Brad, do you happen to know who he lost? That uh, that Oscar uh, too. best supporting Oscar uh, that was uh, Peter Finch. No, no, he won best actor. He won best Peter actor. Won best yeah, we, actor. We, we talked about best him uh, last actor time on network. We're, was, we're looking for best supporting. 
best supporting was 76. So we haven't talked about them yet. How am I not getting this? We'll How be talking about them uh, later this week because it was uh, Jason Robarbs. Okay. Yeah. All the, okay. All the president's men. Okay. All the was... president's men. Yeah. Yeah. Brad, what did you, uh, what did you think about Dustin Hoffman's performance? I thought it was good, especially the fact that he um, mentioned he wasn't sure about taking it because he was pushing 40. Uh, you know, at yeah. that time he's, you know, he said, he goes, I was too old to do the graduate when I did the graduate. And he's like, and I was too old to do this part. He's like, but they said that they could fi- buy it of me because they thought I could do it. So if they still think I look young enough to be in college, then, then I, then I'm all for it. So, I mean, he was able to do it and look lean and he looked like a college student. He, he's, he takes this job at, he, I think he's 38 turning 39. When he takes this job, he looks, you know, when you watch this film, you know, even, even your first time, you just, you just assume that he's in his mid twenties, right? Most likely, you know, I, it blows my mind that he's pushing 40, um, you know, he, he, and he does look lean in this film. You know, he dropped 15 pounds by running four miles a day, um, you know, and they said uh, for all the running scenes, cause you know, Hoffman's one of these method actors. So he wouldn't just, act out of breath he basically would run a half mile before in between takes to legitimately be out of breath yeah i mean it, it's a good tool and he looked you know he had that runner body you know he had that figure it's like uh, marathon people that run marathons i, I think they're crazy to just go <laughs> that far just just to run for a cause i mean that that's fine but they have a specific look and a specific figure. And, and I think he nailed it, you know, I mean, all the way down to his clothes, but his, not just his physique, but the way he runs and, and stuff like that. It just, it was very believable. I think he was, he was great in this movie. Well, well, speaking of uh, being out of breath, you know, like again, the method acting that, that scene and uh, the abduction scene when they take him and they put <laughs> him in the, you know, he's in the bathtub, Brad, he insisted on being held underwater in the bathtub for as long as possible. Uh, He's quoted, he's quoted as saying, let me see how long I can stay under. Let me see if I can fight you. Let me see what happens. Yeah. Brad, you know what happened? Uh, He probably uh, passed out. Yeah. Yeah. Medics had to put him on oxygen after the scene because it went a little, little too far, but uh, yeah, he, you know, like you said, uh, you know, he, he doesn't really like the novel. Which I I'm surprised to you know he would be be boldly out there saying yeah I don't like the novel but he wanted to work with Schlesinger again yeah you know you you mentioned that they did Midnight Cowboy and you mentioned Pacino was kind of in the in the running with this and they remember they had that that um they had that little bit of competitive uh, edge yeah competitive edge you know they they you know if Pacino was interested in something Hoffman wanted it and vice versa yeah. and Hoffman. Yeah, yes, he was a method actor, but he did put some things to rest to saying that, you know, one of the scenes, Olivier asked him, you know, he, he was supposed to be up for three days. And so he asked him, how did you, you know, achieve that? And he was like, I, he said that the rumor is I was up for three days. And Olivier said, why don't you just try acting? He <laughs> said, what I was doing is I was telling him that because what it was, he goes, it was the 70s. And we had a certain lifestyle in the seventies that consisted of going to things like studio 54. Oh, God. <laughs> and yeah. He's like, he goes, so my lifestyle, he goes, but I wanted to impress 
Sir Lawrence Olivier. So I told him I stayed up for three days. He goes, I couldn't do that. Let's think poor Schlesinger, Brad. He's directing a big Paramount movie for Robert Evans. So he's already got enough stress as is. But one of your stars is battling cancer and might not survive. The other is partying at Studio 54. <laughs> so yeah, I can't even imagine where his head was at. But um, you talked about this book being like the hot ticket, you know, when it was when it was dropped. Um, while he's on the set filming Jaws, uh, a buddy of Roy Scheider gives him the book. He finishes mm-hmm. it in one sitting. And he tells his friend, man, this would make such a great movie. But he's disappointed that his favorite character, Doc Levy, dies halfway through the book. And ironically, he plays, you know, uh, you know, just a year later, he's playing Doc Levy. Yeah. And him and Hoffman were close. Um, they were a part of that New York uh, acting troupe. Uh, Hoffman had roomed with. Uh, Gene Hackman and was really disappointed when he didn't get a lot of the stuff. So when he got a chance to finally work with one of his friends, uh, he said it was great. And I thought Shotter was great in this. And the only thing that kind of stinks is there was a scene and I can't believe it's not on like any extras or anything that was actually shot of, um, of doc meeting one of the long-term assassins spies in his business and somebody they looked up into and the guy goes to the bathroom, the, the protege of his and is killed by two assassins and doc goes crazy. And there's a very brutal scene of doc killing these assassins. And apparently the audience, you know, during the seventies where all the movies we're talking about are pretty graphic, pretty gnarly they said it was too much. And they said the, the violence and that was too much. And it, they said that one hurt because they did do a lot of work into it. And they said it was a really good scene, but all in all, they did have to cut it. And it would have got us more of Roy Scheider as well. That's a shame because if this, if this movie, if there's one thing it needs, it needs more Roy Scheider. Mm-hmm. And I, I got something I wanted to talk to you about uh, with the violence. I had no idea they had done such an elaborate scene and if they're cutting it for the violence, man, that's that's depressing yeah. because it, you know, he, his his character is is just amazing. I do want to read the book. Um, Me too. I actually, yeah, that's it. I haven't read the book. Um, it's a little difficult to find. I've seen it online a few times, but it's a little difficult to find. But I would like to read it. Now, keep in mind, this is this is the seventies. This is mid seventies. Uh, I know one of the controversial things in the book that was changed for the film. Uh, in the novel, Doc and his uh, his handler, uh, Janeway, who is played by uh, William Devane, mm-hmm. in the book, they're actually lovers. In the book, uh, Doc and uh, – oh, so yeah. they're, they're lovers. Okay. They're, they're, yeah, they, they work together uh, for the division, but the, apparently they're lovers in the, in the novel. Uh, the only reference you get in the movie about that, if you remember that, like when we're introduced to Roy Scheider, he gets to the hotel in, in France – and he calls him. He says, uh, "He's the yeah. line is, uh, Janie, I miss you. Get your ass over here." And you know, when you're watching, you're like, "Well, who's Janie? Is that like, a, is that a girl? Is that someone?" I but never Janie, put that together. Yeah, Janie is Janeway, and uh, I never that's... put that in there. Yeah. I thought it was a girl that he was that he met 
at the din when they when they finally meet up at uh, the dinner in uh, France. I thought Absolutely. it was her. Yeah. Uh, nope. That's a uh, big misconception oh, that a lot of people have. Docu lie. <laughs> Uh, Brad, I want to talk about uh, two other uh, characters, two other people in this movie. Uh, now, this movie opens with a rather explosive example of road rage. Would you uh, Would you agree? Oh yeah, that's a, that's about as far as you can go with road rage, right here. I mean, that, this, it's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now we know. You know, you got these two guys. Uh, you know, the our main villain, played by uh, Lawrence Olivier. You know. Dr. Cell, he has the brother in America already. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the whole idea is uh he's he's a, you know, Lawrence Olivier is a Nazi war criminal. Uh he was known for smuggling, you know, basically quote unquote helping people get out of Germany, but the price was, you know, diamonds, gold bars, whatever, you know. Right. Really basically he becomes a diamond smuggler um and takes a lot of these precious stones from uh, from Jewish people trying to get, trying to escape the Nazis, when all along he's just taking the money and and not doing he's not he's not holding to his end of the bargain right he's not he is no Oscar Schindler <laughs> as it were no he is very um, Eamon Guth um, yeah. yeah if uh, Ray finds his character in uh, Schindler's List but give him a denser degree and a more sinister and pleasurable approach of doing the horrors that he does yeah so the one person he does get out of germany is his brother Mm -hmm. and his brother basically has this like safe box at the bank with who knows how many millions of dollars worth of of uh uncut gems as as it were now here's what's crazy uh you know the brother you know at the beginning gets involved in a little bit of a road rage incident with another uh, driver and both cars uh, meet a fiery explosion with an oil truck. The brother, Brad, this I, I got, you know, had to mention this because I was like, are you kidding me? The the brother uh, is played by a guy named Ben Dova. Okay. Ben Dova. And if you think that sounds a little uh, comical, that's because he was actually born Joseph Spa and he was uh, one of those vaudevillian actors. Okay. You know, at the turn of the century. Crazy little fact about Ben Dova, Brad. He was on the Hindenburg and survived the disaster. And then they burn him up in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> that's ouch. I mean, the irony there. Yeah. Uh, and that's not even the crazy part of this story. The crazy thing is as one of the one of the few survivors. He's investigated heavily as a person of interest because uh, it turns out he left the passenger area several times and entered the cargo area uh, so that uh, his claim is that he was doing it to walk and feed his dog that was uh, that was in steerage. Go to them. Poor dog did not survive the Hindenburg disaster. Oh, no. uh, I want to talk about one other person. It's a small role, but as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, I know that guy. Uh, can we talk about Fritz Weaver for a second? Uh, he played, yeah, he, he played, he played Babe's professor. Yes. From a uh, creep show. From, from creep show. Yeah. Hal Holenbrook, uh, his buddy. Yeah. With, uh, the, what's the segment? The crate. Yep. The crate. That's a great segment. Yeah. Loved. That's one of my favorite segments in, in the creep show movie. Uh, but Brad, 
we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention his stellar performance as Sir Trevor in our favorite, one of our favorite shows, Frasier. Yes, Sir Trevor. <laughs> oh, that's one of those. That's such a great episode. Uh, yeah. So, see, you know, anytime you get to see uh, um, older actors, uh, you can yeah. see like a performance where, you know, in their younger day, and then you spot them. It's always, it's always mm-hmm. fun. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear from some of our sponsors uh, right now, and when we come back, uh, Brad, we'll talk about the underrated moment and uh, some words that matter. Boy, am I hungry! At last! <laughs> come on, Heinz, hurry up! Billy, if it came out any faster, it wouldn't be Heinz. Rich and delicious Heinz ketchup. Nothing else is quite the same. All right, we are back. Brad, you talked about the movies. Uh, you talked about this violent scene uh, that got cut with uh, Roy Scheider. Yeah. So apparently, the film, it, you know, they do a couple couple showings, right? With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it's going okay, but then the film starts getting heavily criticized for uh, for the violence. So yeah. Schlesinger ends up cutting several close-ups when Doctor Cell basically disembowels Doc, you know, uh, Roy Scheider's character. Apparently, there's a there's a scene on the cutting room floor where you you see like his his intestines spill. Yikes. That gets cut. Uh, the torture. This movie's known for the torture scene, uh, the mm-hmm. dental torture scene. Apparently, there are some some graphic close-ups of the drill and the teeth that he also ends up cutting. Uh, we got to get I like a director's cut. Of this a, movie. I think that's a an okay one because the 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 dental scene was. Um, they were a little nervous about it because. They were going to see some previews of it and and Goldman noticed the film had been out and it was about, you know, 45 minutes in and all of a sudden people are getting up and leaving. And he's like, they're about to get to some good stuff. Where are you going? They were leaving because they didn't want to see the dental scene and they came back after they knew it was over because it freaked them out so much. This it's it is such an unnerving scene. Yeah, in the movie, uh, and I, and I know we'll probably talk a little bit about that here uh, coming up. But uh, Brad, you you talked about um, Goldman. You know, we it you know it's always great when when an author can can adapt their own work into a screenplay. Now, the book's ending for the movie is changed because it gets an un an uncredited rewrite by Robert Town. Who? Yes, I mean, if you're going to get anyone to rewrite you. Robert Town, Brad. Uh, well, but, right. But Goldman, yeah. Goldman calls the movie's ending, quote, shit. Well, the thing is, 
is Goldman was at that time the man as far as screenwriters go. They couldn't really get around it too much. Number one, it was his book. And number two, he's William Goldman at that time. You know, he has a clout. Who can they get to possibly do rewriting? Which was because of Hoffman not wanting to go with the original ending. Where the original ending is, is that he basically shoots Zell in cold blood while also torturing him. And the only other person you could get that point was Robert Town. You couldn't get Paul Schrader. He was busy talking, doing Taxi Driver, as we will talk about later. Mm-hmm. But other than that, and like you said, this competitive thing between Pacino and Hoffman, I feel like there definitely was between Robert Town and William Goldman because he had already just come off of Chinatown, produced by Robert Evans, basically got that movie going on that nobody wanted to do because they thought it was too confusing. And it made town got him the academy award so i guess in some ways it's like yeah grant they're like oh we can't get you we'll get your um your alter ego your nemesis then they basically got his nemesis i don't mind so much the the altered ending but i think i like i think i like goldman's ending better I think it might be a little bit of a cop out, except the the what he makes him do with the diamonds. I think that is genius. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, in, in that moment, you're you know where most people would try to pocket some, try to steal them. I think it works. The torture of him throwing the diamonds into the the you know the waterworks, you know, bit by bit. That's that's torturing uh, Lawrence Olivier's uh, Doctor Cell. Oh no! Everything when he makes him say, "You can keep as many as you can swallow." Oh, oh yeah, that and he makes that him swallow just true. one, and just like the dental scenes, you as you're watching him do this, you feel it. You feel that comfortable. You know every, and this is a movie surrounded by things that people can identify with. People can identify with swallowing something that you shouldn't have, or uh, going to the dentist, uh, things like that, that, you know, that as he's going this gulp, you feel that kind of itch in your back and going down like, Oh man, that's gotta be awful. So I really like that, but I think I prefer because at that point he had already taken out, you know, three bad guys basically. Mm -hmm. So what would one more do to him? You know, I mean, I think, I think he should have. All right. What about you? Do um, you like the new ending or do you would you go with that? I I like the I like Robert Towns ending only because it's it it helps keep um Babe, you know, Dust, Dustin Hoffman's character. Uh it, it keeps him grounded as your protagonist. You know, yeah. he he has that redemption, that redemptive moment. And and you know, like okay, he's gonna be okay. I think Thomas, Babe, Levy, I, I think life goes on for him. So, and the idea of him being led away in handcuffs by the police, like the book has, I, I, I get it's the seventies and, and we want angry stories and it's, and we want these downer type endings, but I, I'm happy to see, uh, I'm happy to see Hoffman, you know, get away with it. You know, yeah, but evil, evil is punished. Evil. He would have killed the most notorious Nazi of all time. I mean, he's wanted by the government. Uh, he's yeah, but he's not his. He's not his older brother, uh, Roy Scheider. He's he's True. not working for the division. He's not a secret agent. He's not an assassin. He's 
he's just a guy that wants to get his uh, doctorate in, in history. So Brad, it's not the favorite scene. It's not in the trailer for the film, but without it, the film is less. What is, in your opinion, the underrated moment for this film? That's a tough one because I'm I'm tossed up between two. You I get one. <laughs> okay. I think when he realizes where Elsa's taken him, when he figures it, or at least he's like, you know, why are we out here in the middle of nowhere where no one can hear us? You know, it's, it's like once he puts it all together with her, I think that's my my favorite scene. And she's like, how did you, when did you know? And he's like, I didn't. You just told me. I like that. That's such a, a that powerful scene a moment as well. Yeah, because like at this point, she is definitely a question mark, uh, especially given uh, an earlier scene, which uh, we'll get here in, in a second. But, um, you know, he makes this, this dynamic escape and who there's not, there's not like a whole lot of people he can call, you know, his brother's dead. Right. He has nobody else. Elsa is going to come to the rescue. And then you find out she's, she's working, she's working with Cell. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so depressing for him. Cause you know, this is, this is the girl, you know, this is, this is his girl, you know? Yeah. He was smitten and, uh, it it is not meant to be that, yeah. Her her look of, you know, when how long have you known? Yeah, and you really Just, you, you kind of you really hate her at that point, very much like you hated the uh, uh, the girlfriend at the, towards the end of the verdict. Like just like oh yeah, you know, just like <laughs> yeah. how how could you? It's like you knew something was up with her, but what in your opinion is your most underrated scene of the movie? Well. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Elsa. We're gonna keep talking about her because I think the underrated moment for this this film is when Doc takes Babe and Elsa to lunch. You know, he's mm-hmm. in town to to help stop, uh, you know, help stop sell. At this point, Dustin Hoffman's character just assumes his big brother is like in in the oil business. You know, he's like a, an executive. Yeah. Um, but he's, a, he's, he's a, he's a, he's, he works for the division there, right. you know, as, uh, I think it's Janeway kind of explains it as what the FBI can't do and what the CIA doesn't want to be bothered to do. That's where we operate, you know, yeah. and we work for who we want to. Right. Um, so when doc takes Dustin Hoffman and his new lady friend out to lunch, I love the moment where doc basically He's so fascinated. He's, you know, like I mean, imagine this because Brad, you, we both have brothers and we've been that in that moment where you meet your brother's new girlfriend or, you know, the, the woman he's going to marry or whatever the, the case may be. So you want to show interest, you know, you want to be engaging and, you know, oh, hey, let's learn a little bit about, about you. And the way he leads her down that path and then st- and then just gets serious and goes, I made all that up. Yeah. Now let's let's talk about who you really are. And and Dustin, poor Dustin Hoffman in this moment is like, what do you, what's going on? What do you, this is not, what is this? Is this, is this a joke? What's, what's funny? Yeah. This isn't funny. And I, I love them. I love the idea that Doc has to play both sides here because he's basically presenting it like she is a, a gold digger, you know, on a, on a work visa, trying to land a husband in America so she can stay. When meanwhile, he's, he knows, hey, this, this woman's with Cell, you know? Yeah. And I, and I just made her. I love that moment in the in the in the scene in the uh, the restaurant. 
and he just keeps laying it on. She could have bowed out very after like one or two of the lies that she just kept making up. I mean, he's just throwing out names. Do you know this person? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, she's just falling down like the, the hole with it. Yeah. Secret agent, double agent 101, you know, someone suggests, you know, someone, or you've been somewhere just be like, no. Yeah. Um, she's not the best agent, but it also <laughs> seems like the division just works with what they can get. That's true. That's true. Brad, we have got some of the most talented writers of the seventies involved in this project. Let's talk about words that matter. Um, I think it's safe to say, you know, just like la- last time we were together, Brad, we talked about network. There's only one true, you know, there was only one true line in that, that everyone knows everyone quotes. I kind of feel it's the same situation here. Brad, you want to deliver the line? Is it safe? Is it safe? Oh, oh, please. Hey. Please don't. No. No. It's okay. Is it safe? That hurt? Uh-huh. No. I should think it would. should take better care of your teeth. You have a quite a cavity here. Is it safe? Look, I tell you, I can't do it. Is it safe? Not only it, do we hear this a couple, like more than we hear this several times throughout the movie, right? In in, in different tones, and you know, you're just dealing with somebody that doesn't know how to answer, and somebody who has a talent for sniffing out lies, you know. And so when he tries to change gears and say. No, yes, yes, it's very safe. It's it's very safe. And just like now you're just making stuff up. But and then he they they lay it out there immediately once you see the tools and, and all this stuff. And if you've never even seen this movie, you know this line and you know what it's about. Oh yeah. Brad, do you remember uh the I think you and I were to, were were together the first time we heard this this uh this quote. Uh wasn't this when we saw uh, years ago? We saw uh, a documentary called "Terror in the Isles." Yeah, um, and it and, and it, it made it that. look more like a horror movie. I I feel it did. Um, but it, is this considered an actual horror movie? No, but this scene is horror. Oh, it is definitely horror. Uh, you know, if you thought the the abduction scene where they come and grab him out of the bathtub. You know, all the lights in his apartment are out. That's terrifying in itself because you can hear the whispering. Yeah. I'm like, you can hear that whispering going on in the background. It's like he has nowhere to go. And then when you think he's safe, that crowbar coming in, like so simple, so effective, so effective. Uh, That scene is, is, is amazing because, you know, Oftentimes you see in, in horror films, you know, you, you see the um, the beautiful girl, you know, she takes mm-hmm. off her clothes to go swimming or take a shower. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a cliche, but it's also done to, you know, to show like, hey, this thing about it, when you are when you are naked, you are at your most vulnerable. Yeah. And poor Dustin Hoffman, when he is trembling inside that bathtub. Like that would be, that'd be, think about it. If you're in your bathroom, 
sitting mm-hmm. naked in a bathtub and you're hearing the lights go out and you're hearing scuffling. Oh my Lord, what a terrifying moment. And like you said, that crowbar going into the door, I think, I think that is just as effective, if not more so than uh, Nicholson's ax going through the door in the shining. Right. You know, when, when horror movies go at a more um, surprise for the bathroom effect, you know, yeah. it's that person's in the bathroom, they get up, they either see something reflected in the mirror or they turn down the wrong way and they're goners. This is this buildup. You hear them whispering, you hear them getting in, and then you you hear ev- all the buildup. This movie has a lot of buildup, the buildup with the, the dental scene, the buildup with Zell, the buildup of the abduction, a lot of building up for the Instead of one big boom, you get this huge buildup for each of these intense scenes. Is it safe? Uh, Brad ranked number 70 on AFI's 100 years, 100 movie quotes. Um, and it's been uh, it's been mentioned in other TV shows. I know uh, we love James Spader. I don't know if you watch The Blacklist. But, I don't. Uh, I remember there was an episode where he kind of talked about this movie like throughout the whole episode. Which mm-hmm. is uh, which was kind of fun. Uh, it was spoofed in uh, of all things. It was spoofed actually in Hot Shots. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, because um, I I remember seeing Hot Shots and not really understanding the joke. Mm-hmm. It you know I think I think it went over a lot of people's heads just because of uh, how how dated it was. But um, there's that scene in Hot Shots when Lloyd Bridges punches that bad guy out. He falls down yeah. the steps and into the, into a dentist chair and then like a a lookalike. Lawrence Olivier, you know, glasses, uh, you know, silver hair, bald, delivers the quote. So, I'm sure the Simpsons have done a spoof on it. I'm sure I, it they have. It wouldn't surprise me if this showed up in like a Treehouse of Horror or something. Yeah. You know, you know, Family Guy maybe doing something. I could see Seth MacFarlane yeah. doing doing something like this. Let's take one more quick break, and uh, Brad, when we get back, uh, I got to ask you the question: prequel, sequel, or remake? People say you only look as good as you feel. That's why I'm not sure how I'm going to look the morning after a headache's kept me awake. But you know there's a pain reliever that's made for a headache that keeps you awake? Excedrin PM. Excedrin PM relieves the headache and its tension, and it helps you relax for a good night's sleep. So you should wake really feeling good in the morning. When you want pain relief and help to sleep at night, try Excedrin PM. Because in the morning, you may only look as good as you feel. Morning. Oh, hi. Okay, Brad, you're uh you're walking into Paramount to to have a, a sit down with whoever the Robert Evans is at the time. And uh we're gonna talk about uh, Marathon Man. So Brad, I wanna know what are you gonna pitch? Are you gonna are you gonna tell him about a a prequel, a sequel, or a remake? Well, a sequel is little hard because obviously too much time has passed and a lot of the main players are no longer with us or they're 80 years old a prequel to me doesn't really sound as interesting because you're leaving tom completely out of it a little bit except the stuff with his father but i would like to see a remake but i think i'd like to see it as maybe a mini series or a limited limited series um <laughs> but something like a one-off series that delves more into obviously the doc character and that mm-hmm. delves more into his family's history um the crimes that hit their father was 
um, convicted of in the McCarthy hearings, a lot of that more about Zell's backstory and, you know, maybe even some footage of a Zell. So I think a, a remake, but then again, you're also talking, how are we going to use somebody in Nazi Germany to develop to today? So I guess if you did remake it, you'd kind of have to have it maybe still take place in the seventies. But I think a remake with more details would be, uh, would, would be nice. All right. So, so you're giving us a, a limited series on Paramount plus. Yeah. Uh, that really uh, sinks its teeth into probably more of a Goldman's novel. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic idea actually. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, cause I was thinking remake, do you have uh, anyone in mind? Because I've got I've got three guys ready to uh, to pitch to you for for the cast. I didn't think of who I would cast, but go, but go ahead. How do you feel about this? In the role of Babe Levy, Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you Miles Teller, his big brother, uh, the Roy Scheider character, uh, Doc, Tom Hardy. And that works because Tom Hardy is, in fact, five years older than Miles Teller. Okay. And as our big bad, taking on the role of Dr. Cell, none other than Ed Harris. That could work. He played such a great – he, he played an awesome Nazi villain uh, with uh, in that movie with Jude Law, if you remember. Oh, the, the Enemy at the Gates. Enemy at the Gates. So, but yeah, you that's You keep asking that's my me cast. to watch that I never have. I don't know why you're waiting. You are. That's such a fantastic film, man. But uh, that's that's my cast. And you know what? Um, let's throw some more money at it because I'd as much as I like to see them do a remake of this movie, I want to see them do your miniseries on Paramount Plus now. Um, funny funny story though, Brad. Uh, you and I bring this up just because you said, well, you really can't do a sequel to this. Are you aware that William Goldman did in fact write a sequel novel to Marathon Man? I didn't. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't. Oh, boy, this is not the sequel that we want for this uh, this movie. Okay. Uh, the novel the the novel was called Brothers, and let me tell you how ridiculous it is. Apparently, in the in the book, the sequel book, Roy Scheider's character of Doc, he survives. Okay. Never mind that we saw him zipped up in a body bag after he was disemboweled, but he does in fact survive. And continues on to work for the division. Uh, and this time he's trying to stop a terrorist group from starting World War III. Sounds like a paycheck book is what that was. Yeah. And here's the fun thing. Uh, because the Thomas, uh, the, the Babe character is really not in it that much. At this point, he is a history professor, mm-hmm. um, you know, college professor of history. Uh, doesn't really, isn't really relevant until the end. The big, uh, the big reveal um, is that uh, Doc kills this woman who was like a double agent, and she just happens to be Babe's uh, wife. Of course, of course. Yeah, so one, I mean, talk that, about that, that one. That I don't just, think so. Nah, that is that is bad. That is that but is just bad. You haven't answered your choice: sequel, prequel, or remake. I did. Oh, just a, oh, but of, out of mine. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, you're just you want mine. Okay. Yeah. The less said about the sequel novel Brothers, the better. Uh back to Marathon Man though. 
let's uh let's hear Brad Kozo's uh rating. Uh, out of four possible stars, what are you gonna give John Schlesinger's Marathon Man? I give it four stars. Um, I think this is an excellent film. Um, it's a uh, essential for any 70s uh movie fan. I have the 4K. It's got a great document, couple documentaries on it. It's um not only a well-directed film, it's really well acted. Like I said, it's it's a great script. It's a great story. Um, I, yeah, I I I love it. You know, it it's got a lot going on in it in a short amount of time, but I, I kind of like it. It's it's a little it's a little um, chaotic. This movie is very chaotic, um, but I I, th- I think it works. What about you? So, how many stars? I'm going to agree with Roger Ebert. Uh, he gave this one three stars. I'm giving it three stars. Uh, it's a great thriller. Uh, definitely uh, for 1976, it is a fun espionage thriller with some great performances. I just wish there was more Scheider. Yeah. And I also do like is as much as there was a lot of these types of films made during that time. This was not a ripoff or a, just kind of a loose adaptation of another one of those films. It stands on its own. Well, Brad, I want to thank you. Uh, I know you are, you know, you are pulling a, a lot of overtime <laughs> these last couple of weeks uh, because but that's your own doing. You know, uh, we talked about uh, doing a, a limited series on 76 and you said I will be there as much as possible because this is it's your guys fault man. for doing it. It's your guys fault for doing this many awesome movies. Um, yeah. Well, we are not done. Uh, this Friday, we will continue celebrating Hoffman with our own Hoffman, Scott Hoffman. Uh, he will join uh, Brad and me, and we'll give you the skinny on all the president's men. Listeners, you can let us know what you think of Marathon Man. It is playing on Paramount+. Plus. Or it's uh, available on 4K Blu-ray if you're yeah. a big fan like Brad is. might be on Max as well. It's on a couple of them right now. So if you get a chance, check it out. And let us know what you think about it at www.afilmbypodcast.com or hit us up on social media. Thanks for lending your ears. Catch you on the flip side. 